when we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony everyone overcome and we this overcoming it's it's overcoming sin but it's also an overcoming life the bible says that he bore our sins on the tree but isaiah 53 goes on to also say surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows everything that bothers us as humanity he carried for us and through faith in Him, we can cast all our cares upon Him who went to such a great length to demonstrate His love for us while we were yet sinners, while we were yet unworthy, not that we would ever be worthy of His great love. He chose to take our problems upon Himself and carry them to the cross and put them to death once and for all. Your story and my story is not over. It's all His story. History is His story. Let's cast our cares upon Him today. Lord, we give You our cares. We trust You with our griefs and our sorrows. Lord, we recognize afresh today that You carried those for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's confess this together. I'm a world overcomer. I'm a world overcomer. I'm a world overcomer. I'm a world, a world overcomer. overcomer. I'm a believer. I'm, I'm a believer. believer. My story is not over. My story is not over. This too shall come to pass. This too shall come to pass. I'm going over and not under. I'm going over and not under. All by the blood of the Lamb. All by the blood of the Lamb. Lord, we thank you that you carried our sins and you carried our sorrows and you carried our burdens for us. 
Lord, we cast our cares upon you afresh today. Forgive us, Lord, for getting our eyes off of you here and there, Lord, and being distracted by the economy or by personal issues and relational issues. Lord, we put our trust in you. Thank you, Lord. We recognize that you told us not to worry about a thing, but to trust you. That you send us out into light. What's that 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 song that line about sending us out? Yeah, can, can we sing that power in hand? Power in hand, speaking the Father's plan. Sending us out, light in this broken land. This is what we're going to do today. His power in hand. Power in hand, speaking the Father's plan. Sending us out, light in this broken land. All authority.
Tell your neighbor, we will overcome. We will overcome. We will overcome by the blood. We will overcome by the blood. And we will overcome by our own words. We will overcome by our own words. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much, Jen Praise and Pastor Shake. Y'all may be seated. I'm going to make a couple of announcements, and then we're going to dive into the Word today. It's going to be really good. Have a special treat. How many like lunch? How many like free lunches? How many like cheap lunches? Well, we have a free lunch opportunity and a cheap lunch opportunity. Which one do you want to hear first? Free, all right. For all those involved in children's ministry and their nuclear families, nuclear families, and those interested in children's ministry are invited to remain in the building after service. There will be a lunch for you and a meeting with Pastor Laura, our children's pastor. Amen. Who appreciates Pastor Laura? She is awesome. And also, the youth group have a fundraiser lunch. It's a cheap lunch based on what you order. <laughs> At Schlotsky's. 20% of the proceeds goes to our youth ministry, uh, the, the uh, activities that our youth are involved in. Amen. It doesn't go to running the church or the youth department. But anyway, at this time, we'll dismiss those fifth grade and younger to go to their class. If you guys can... Head on out. That would be good. Amen. Well, Granbury is a wonderful city. And we have one of Granbury's heroes with us today. One of our own. Raised in this town. Terry Snow is the YWAM director, Youth with a Mission director, for the missions ministry of YWAM in the nation of Haiti. And uh, he's been here numerous times, and I've been to, my wife and I have been to Haiti twice, and this guy is the real deal. We all say real deal. Amen. Terry Snow, we turn the service to you. It snows in Haiti. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's good to be home. <laughs> I brought some cool weather back with me, huh? <laughs> You're really glad to see me, huh? <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, my wife and children, I'll say hi to you. They are not here with me this trip. I'm actually here. I'm teaching in spiritual warfare in Lindale, Texas, at the Youth of the Mission facility there this weekend. I said, wow, I got an extra moment in time. And so I called up or emailed up, as we do nowadays, uh, Larry, uh Alan, and I said, Alan, are you interested in me coming by? And he said, oh, sure. It was just about that quick. So I was very encouraging. Uh, and uh, But my wife now, you can be praying for her. She's getting ready to go to Africa. And so she's going to be doing a trip for two weeks in Africa. She'll be leaving Saturday. Uh, she'll be going with a woman's doctor medical team uh, to see what's going on in Africa. So it's exciting to see my wife out there going to the uttermost ends of the earth in the glory of God. My oldest son, Wayne, to catch y'all guys up, if you didn't know, he is married. And not only is he married, they already have a child. So believe it or not, this guy who used to be 
a young man from Granbury, Texas, is now a grandfather, which I'm still trying to get used to that, especially when I'm in an organization called Youth with a Mission. So, but anyway, uh, we have a beautiful granddaughter, and uh, she was born December 25th. Yeah. <laughs> so, God is so good. Sometimes you just feel like he orchestrates the whole world for you, and that was one of these moments. Because we were like, how are we going to fly out? She had the baby. They had the baby in Florida. And we're thinking, oh, what should we do? And the baby, she went into labor um, uh, Christmas Eve. And so we called the airlines real quick. And they were, because it was Christmas Day, nobody was flying. So we got these really low discounted tickets, jumped on a plane, and flew in just three hours after she was born. And uh, so it was really cool to be a part of that. And see all that then my son christian snow some of you may know him from all of his videos you can go on youtube find out all the videos uh, that he has going on out there he's starting to get involved in a, a program called grassroots and that's where youth with the mission is setting up christian missionaries throughout the world to give on-site reporting from a christian perspective on the internet and uh, it's a brand new thing that's starting to happen. He's getting quite involved with a David Cunningham, which is Lauren Cunningham, our founder of Youth with the Mission's son. He's actually put out several movies as well. Uh, he's working with him on that, as well as doing our TV broadcast right there in Haiti. He just came back from doing his discipleship training school, DTS, in Amsterdam. He was able to go to Israel, and he was able to go to Ukra Ukraine. So, I mean, it's just incredible. All my family's everywhere, you know. My quiver was full, and I sent them out to the world, you know. And uh, so that's really exciting. My daughter, 18-year-old Elizabeth, she is in Pennsylvania right now working, and she will be going to do her DTS in California this fall. Uh, my 16-year-old son, Samuel, he's doing quite well, playing instruments and all kinds of stuff in our worship group there at the base and ethan paul is 11 years old and he's just ethan just trying to make sure that hey i am here you know <laughs> and wilna is our foster daughter uh 21 years old she's preparing to do her dts and she hadn't decided though if she wants to go to jamaica or she wants to go to tyler texas to do her dts so wow our family's just all over the place isn't it but how exciting it was to, to be able to come back here and say hi to you guys God is doing some tremendous things in Haiti. Uh, we are seeing God move. We're only eight families short now of building 100 homes for victims from the earthquake a year and a half ago. And that was our goal. So we're really excited about that. In fact, this week, four families will be moving in a brand new home. Now, these were families who were victims in the earthquake, lost everything, and on top of that, they were renters. They never owned a thing in their life except for the clothes on their back. And now, not only did God restore them, heard their cry, but put them in their own home and relocate them in a place where they could prosper. Now, we, we haven't seen a lot of people getting saved in the last month or so, but what we have been seeing is extraordinary. As we have a DTS happening right there on our base, our own DTS students are being transformed before our eyes. DTS, Discipleship Training School. Discipleship Training School is a five-month to six-month course 
where we give the basics on how to be a Christian. But then we don't only give the Bible teaching. We say live it or leave. And that's what's so important, isn't it? Because all of us know it's easy to come down to. Well, it's not necessarily easy to come down to the altar and ask God, forgive us of all of our sins. But then how do we live it out? How do we breathe it? How do we walk it out? And that's what we're doing. We're working in Haiti, a nation that has no Christian foundations. These kids come into our our DTS program. A lot of them don't even know the books of the Bible. They don't know who Noah is. Can you believe that? Noah and the ark. Hopefully everybody knows that here. Uh, You know, they don't know who David is. They don't know who many of these biblical characters in their lives are being transformed. They learn the Bible. We also get them to live it. They wake up every morning at 530 in the morning. You'll see on our campus, young people all over the place praying and ask God, make my life close to you. Develop an intimate relationship. May I hear your voice. May you change me and make me an agent to change others. Uh, These are the things that are happening and their lives are really being transformed. Um, We actually started another program called a pre-DTS. Because our DTS didn't give even basic foundational stuff. So we do a pre-DTS where they actually learn basic character skills that we take for granted. You take for granted here in the United States that we're taught within our society. But when you have a society that doesn't know who they are and they have no biblical foundations, you know, some of the common stuff they do, uh, they're like, that's wrong. That's wrong. I can't do that. You know, and so we we actually take them through a whole year program. But right now they're getting ready to go to Panama. Wayne, my oldest son, is leading that DTS right now. And we miss Alan and Yvette from coming this year. We really miss you guys. Hope y'all can come again real soon. But it's been going really well. But on top of that, too, our um, 90 or our 80, yeah, it's 92 families now that have moved into these new homes in a new community that's developing in St. Mark. Now, they are coming to us. They weren't Christians before the earthquake. They were Christians after the earthquake. And without even talking or preaching about it, they're coming to us and say, Terry, we need to get married. We have been living together. We have these two children, but we've never been married. So now we have a dilemma. We have 25 couples <laughs> lined up to get married. Now, that's God moving on lives and hearts to realize that. But also, we're breaking cultural barriers because people always saw marriage as a celebration. It's just money and celebration, white dress, and that's it, and you do it, and woohoo, and and that's it. But we, all of a sudden, when they started talking to us, we feel we should be married. We feel like we're living in sin, even though we have children, even though this has been my my woman ever since you know we got together and my husband we feel like we need to make this right before god so we actually had to begin teaching them on what god intended for marriage and now we're having seven marriages next week next friday a group wedding which is culturally not normal for haiti you know, and all these weddings, all their, they, they got the commitment down to, I'm going to give my spouse a ring. I'm going to stand before a pastor. I'm going to have a legal document declared this is done. And before God, we're going to say, you are my wife and you are my husband and we are going to be married. And then we're going to have a few coats. And that's it. And these people are going to be married. 
And that's so exciting. It costs $200 to do that, to pay for all the legal fees and all that stuff. So we just took marriage from a $2,000 prospect where everybody had to live in sin till they got grandchildren so they can pay for the wedding to $200 where they can get right before God and live in a pure conscience before God. And that's, that's really, that's, that's making history. That's changing a culture. And uh, I know Alan knows that probably from Africa. It's probably very similar there. I don't know. But um, it's very, very hard to get that. And it's so exciting to see what's happening. Our city, you know, is growing closer and closer to God. Somebody just recently asked me, says, Terry, have you seen change? Yes. When I first came to Haiti, voodoo was everywhere. Now voodoo is laughed at. It is mocked at. The witch doctors get together and try to figure out how they can shut us up because we have no authority anymore. Because they have no influence anymore. And that is incredible. Children who used to die and nobody was saying a thing. You know what? We actually have witch doctors who are bleeding out children for a voodoo sacrifice being captured, caught, and thrown in prison before that was supported. God is moving on the hearts and there was no law change. It was people's conscience being awakened by God and by constantly, consistently banging on that concrete wall. And now we're seeing it cracking. Now we're seeing it crumbling. Now we're building a whole new city. So that's the good news of all the different things that are going on. And of course, I could go on all morning long, believe me, with all the good things that God has been doing. But I believe that God's given me a message in this time, and I feel like God told me to share with everyone that I come in contact with. I think it's a very important message. God really has stirred my heart on this, and it's a message to the church at large, really. There's a lot of challenges that's been going on right now. Anybody believe we're living in the last days? To be honest with you, when I grew up in church, my dad's here. It's good to have my dad here, Lester Snow, sitting right there. I can remember when we were in Granbury and we started Faith Assembly of God. It started in my grandfather's living room. It was my grandfather, my grandmother. Let's see, is there some other people here have ever remember that? Uh, Wayne and Francis Hatcher. Were you there for that? I can't remember. But anyway, they we started there, you know, and my the youth group was me and my sister, you know. <laughs> And that's how we started. But I remember all the way back then, you know, they said, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming soon. My goodness, I, I used to have nightmares sometimes thinking I was going to miss Jesus somehow. One time I came home and uh, from going out working all day and I came home and the dinner table was set. The meal was half eaten and nobody in sight. And I thought, uh-oh, Jesus came. I went looking all everywhere for, for my family, found out they all just got up from the dinner table and went down the road to talk to somebody. But, man, it scared the living daylights out of me. Always heard, Jesus is coming. The end of the times is here. It's here now. But you know what? I believe it's here like it never was back then. <laughs> because of some of the things that we're seeing. Some of the challenges we're seeing. And the challenge is... To all of us, we've got to be aware of what the devil wants to do and what's going on in the world around us so that we do not lose heart, that our love is not lost for our Creator. You think, how in the world could that happen? 
That's why I'm titling this message, Frogs in a Kettle. Okay, I'll tell you about that later. But you know, this last 10 years have been really challenging. But in 2004, we had a war in Haiti. I'm going to talk about my life. I don't know what's going on with your life. I can tell you what the devil's doing with me and what God is doing with me. And my, in 2004, we had a civil war in Haiti that was like nothing I'd ever seen in my life. In that time, I had guns pointed to my head so many times, it just doesn't phase me anymore. I was just out last May for a six-week break. I went back to Haiti in mid-June, two days after I got to Haiti. Can you believe it? A Haitian held me up at gunpoint with a gun to my head. I just looked at him and said, that, that don't mean nothing to me. Just give it up. You know, he took my wedding band, he took my my wallet, but he had he got no fear out of me. I just gave up, <laughs> you know. But in 2004, I saw so many terrible things. Places where people were massacred. I could tell you stories. I could tell you things I've seen. And I never dreamed in my life that people would do the kinds of things that they did. I remember after, you know, it's one thing you're living in a war and you're seeing all this killing and all this you know, just to give you the gravity, I think i got to express this, to give you the gravity of the situation, was is in 2004 when, when the government killed somebody, they did not allow their bodies to be taken because they did not want people to know how many Haitians died. So they'd leave them out there until the dogs ate them. One pastor testified, one day he was sitting out in early morning reading his Bible as a pig walked by with a man's arm in his mouth. Now that is terrible. And I remember after the war was over with, I thought, okay, everything's going to go. It got worse. I remember going out and I was, I heard there was this crowd and they were just doing vengeance on the government. They wanted to pay back everybody that hurt them. And they went into this area and they were, I walked in this house and they were ransacking the house. And it was as if they were a bunch of zombies because nobody could even you know, you could be like this and they couldn't even see you. They were just so driven with hatred. They were just breaking glass and stuff. And I'm like, taking, they weren't even taking, stealing stuff. They were just destroying, destroying. I seen Haitians knock down a building with nothing more than a hammer in a matter of 30 minutes. I mean, just hatred, boiling. And then I remember in 2008, crisis came man we had three hurricanes hit us three hurricanes hit us in 2008 and as a result a, a tree went down blocked a bridge and the whole river came through our property my goodness if i only had a kayak i would have had a blast but i wasn't really laughing i can look back at that i remember thinking that wow we had a kayak this would be fun to try you know cuz it was a roaring rapid right through our our campus and when everything settled we lost all kinds of equipment but there was 3 feet of mud average throughout the whole campus 3 feet of mud 100 dump trucks dump truck loads of dirt mud dried up Drove out of our doors. Man. I tell you what. In that time I said. And then at the same time the city's screaming. Oh we're hurting. Oh we're hungry. Oh 
You know, and I was like, God, this is too much. I remember saying, God, this is just too much. You ask too much. I can't do this. I'm the victim, and they're sitting out there saying, help us. And I remember God telling me, in the darkness, your light shines the brightest. Uh, that was a good message for me at that moment. But still, struggle with going over through this crisis. And then 2010, the earthquake. And the earthquake hit, to be honest with you, I went the opposite direction. The earthquake hit, and they said how devastating it was. I sent my son Wayne. I said, go check it out. And I went the opposite direction. I went out in the countryside, and I was just kind of, oh, God, let it not be bad. I can't handle this. I, I'm not even over 2008. We're still trying to recover things. And I come back to hear all the devastation that happened. Have you ever got angry with God? Have you ever felt like God forgot you? Have you ever felt like, you know, all this coming on me, this is too much, God? It's not fair! And then, just as we're thinking, maybe we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, cholera breaks out. Now, I don't know if y'all knew this, and I hope I don't pop anybody's bubble here, but I'm not an ordained pastor. I am a crazy, radical, grandbarian who dared to say, you said what God, and actually obeyed him. That's all, okay? <laughs> and when I went out there, when, when, you know, the reason, I've had people come up and say, Tara, I can get you ordained. Tara, I can get, I'm like, no, no, no. And the reason why is, I do not like burying people. I don't like funerals. And I do not like marrying people. Both of those things are, Events I usually try to avoid. Now, Marion's not so bad, you know, but still, I'm just like, if I was that pastor up there, I'd do something stupid. You know me. I would drop something. I'd be on America's Funniest Home Videos, that's for sure. I would do something wrong. I'm just not that way. I'm not that good suit type kind of guy. So I said, I don't want to get married. I don't want to get ordained. What's the point of it? Because if I get ordained, then I have to tell people I can't marry or I, I don't want to marry you. I'd rather just say I can't marry you, you know, <laughs> nothing personal. I just can't, you know, but there in the cholera epidemic, it hit us right where we were. We were at the heart of the epidemic outbreak. And uh, we actually were the first ones on the scene. We ran in there, racing there with water, and it was just, I have never seen uh, illness uh, so, so radical as cholera in its full-blown epidemic stage. I would see people shrivel up. I remember this one time I was driving in with water, and there's this man sitting under a tree, and he looked okay, obviously sick, but looked okay. And ten Haitian men were carrying him, out by hand on his bed to try to get him to a hospital. And so I came by in my pickup truck fully loaded with water. And I said, I'll be right back. Let me drop this water off just 10 minutes down the road. I'll be right back. The time I got back, he was still there. He was still conscious. They were sitting him under a tree. I put him in the back of my truck. 15 minutes later, we pull up to the hospital in St. Mark with him. And he dies at the gate. In the back of my truck. And I looked at him and everybody who died of cholera, they looked like something like uh, something out of a sci-fi horror show where a spider bites them and they get sucked dry. Cholera totally depletes your body of all liquid. It just 
dehydration. You die of dehydration. It's the most god-awful sickness I've ever seen. And then having to pick up bodies, dead bodies. See, that wasn't my criteria, you know. I want to see the dead raised. I don't want to raise the dead and put them in my body, in, in their body in my truck. And I tell you what, people, I don't know about you, but I had some problems after all that. Y'all think pastors and missionaries, we just know everything. We're just right with God and, you know, we just overcome everything in the name of Jesus. I tell you what, I bet you Alan can tell you times where he spent the night on his knees saying, God, no more, no more. I can't handle this. And that's where I was. There's a scripture in Matthew chapter 24, if you'd like to turn to it, verse 4 through 14. As you're turning to that, you know, I didn't tell you about all the attempts of kidnapping, all the different theft issues, all the different, you know, you go to help someone and they end up stealing from you or you help somebody do this and they end up, you know, lying to you and find out you're telling, you know, they're telling you all the wrong. You know, there's so much evil in the world. Before I tell you, I read this scripture too, I just really felt like that there might be somebody here. I just felt like this from the Lord that you have wondered why God allows evil to happen in the world. I can remember one time I was in Haiti and all of a sudden we were, well, not all of a sudden, but we were at doing, this group was doing a drama and it was okay drama and I was standing out in the audience and as I was standing out in the audience, there was a bunch of prostitutes and thefts and gang guys and all that kind of stuff all there. And I heard them and they began to mock the group up there. And I remember it just made me mad. Here were these guys paid all this money to come down here to give you a message of hope. And all you can do is mock them. And I said, God, this ain't right. And God said, get up there and get the mic. And I said, what do you want me to say, God? And he said, I'll tell you when you get there. Oh, that's always scary, but it's always fruitful. You know, you know, the reason why you need an intimate relationship with God is for when God tells you to do that kind of thing, because whatever is in you will come out. You don't have to decorate. I don't have to sit there and pray for five hours before my Sunday morning service to make sure I present my message in a one, two, three point style. You just get up there and you just kind of like everything that's in you, you know, and if it ain't God, it's really gross. But if it's God. God just cuts to the heart. And I remember I got up there and I didn't even know what I was going to say. And this is what God told me to say. If God loves you, why are you poor? And everybody just froze. People were walking away. They stopped. Other people that were walking by stopped and turned. If God loves you, why are your children hungry? Everybody went into the Haitian mode of I'm thinking now. This is what they do. They all the men, they start putting their hand up on their cheek, all this stuff, on their chin and start rubbing. If God loves you, why don't you have a job? Well, now it's almost like I had a, a Christian church. They were almost all these, these pagans, these non-Christians were like, amen. You know, <laughs> glad you finally figured that out. If God loves us, why are we hungry? Why don't we have money? Why are our children suffering? Now tell us, what are you going to do about it? You know, it's kind of how they were. 
And I said, well, let me ask you this one question. Has God forsaken you or have you forsaken God? And it was so hilarious because they looked at me as if, what did we do? And then I was able to tell them their history. Who killed a pig? And abandoned the blood of Jesus for the blood of a pig. Have you been out there prostituting? Have you been out there stealing? Have you been out there taking while you ask God to give? Who has forsaken who? Now let me tell you, I'm on my spiritual warfare drive because this is my week where I'm supposed to teach spiritual warfare. But let me tell you something. God is about redeeming, not destroying. Okay? He's about redeeming, not destroying. Our decisions... Our actions, our own sins have a negative consequence upon this earth. If you look in Genesis chapter 3, some people read that as God then cursed the ground. God, you read it closely, people. It does. That's not my message. I'm off. I'm sorry. But God did not curse the ground. It did not say God cursed the ground. God has not cursed Texas. With a drought. God has not cursed Haiti with an earthquake. God did not curse Japan with an earthquake. If you read that, it says the ground is cursed because of what? You did. Not what he did, but you did. That's why I was excited to hear Governor Perry starting to realize, listen, you know, let's let's pray. Let's pray. Because I think he was catching the idea. Hey, look, you know. But the thing is, when we pray for rain, what do you pray for? First, I think you got to look at your own heart before you can expect God to make the move. I know when that earth, we were talking about before the service, when the hurricane was coming in, Emily, you know, a lot of people are praying. We, we saw a major catastrophe avoided. People, you don't know what kind of catastrophe if we had a quarter million killed in 2010, we would have had a lot killed with Emily if it would have came in like they anticipated. Because most of Port-au-Prince is still on intense. And cholera is there. It's just not epidemic. But if we had had a hurricane, it probably would have been. And food would have been a, a, a hard thing to find. And Emily came up there. And I don't know what all y'all pray, but this is why I pray, God. <laughs> to be honest with you, I just said, God... I can't live through another crisis. You got to do something here. And if you ever wonder what God's mercy looks like, you should have watched the weather report because God's mercy came. Emily like hit a wall. It was just moving. Well, we don't really know what's going on. It's not moving anywhere. And well, it's supposed to go. And then it just dispersed. And if you see, I, I should record this on, on my computer. But if you see the clouds just went. And it went across Haiti, reformed again on the other side of Haiti over Cuba. And I'm like, now that's a God thing. If you, you were wondering what God looks like, that's a God thing right there, you know. People say, you know, is, is Haiti cursed? Is it finished? It's, you know, well, well, they may be cursed because of their actions, but clearly the mercies of God, his eye is upon the nation. 
And you need to be aware of that here. If you ever question what God is doing in your life, you know, know this. I don't have all the answers. But God's about redeeming. God's about restoring. God's about building up. And everything else has to do with the devil or your own wrong choices, in my opinion. So, anyway, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, it says, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one, divide, no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and deceive many. You will hear of wars, rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but then the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Seen that. All these are the beginning of birth pains. All the women can relate now. Then you will be handed over to the persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Now listen to this next verse, 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. People, I'm not saying this. The Bible says this. Today is a time where I believe God wants to wake us up. It didn't say because of the wickedness, some will grow cold. My friends, most. I said most will grow cold. I don't know about you, but I've, I read that and it just leaped out of me. And I began to realize and I began to look back and I began to study my own life here a little bit. And I began to think about What's been going on? I began to reflect on some of the things about some of the fellow missionaries I've labored with. Recently, I had a conversation with a missionary and he looked me straight in the eyes. He says, I have just grown angry and hateful to God. You look at that and say, oh, that's so terrible. A missionary would do that. People... I don't know if it's so much how terrible it is, but the situation that the world is in. Have you felt like not showing up at church? Have you felt like not pursuing God anymore because of the weakness that maybe is in your area? Maybe at your job? Maybe at your what you're involved in? Maybe you saw some things. Well, this pastor fell. Oh, my goodness. Well, why should any of us just continue in God? Look, the Bible is telling you, be aware That wickedness will increase. Somebody recently said, man, let me tell you, the devil is on the move. Are you? That's what the guy said. The devil is out there. But you know what the devil is? We make the devil to be bigger than what he is. You know what he is? He's simply like the guy on the cartoon. A little bitty guy here that whispers in your ears, but you make the decisions. That's it. If we compare Satan to who we are in Christ, it'd be like an ant walking all the way from the back, walking up here, walking up my boot, right up my pants leg, up my shirt, crawling up on the tip of my nose. He says, come on, let's fight. That's how big Satan is. It says in the Bible, the world would be astonished. It was this. 
that deceived the whole world? But yet the Bible tells us these things will happen because of the wickedness of men. They will fall under the influence. Wrong choices will be made. So how are we going to survive it? How will we be with the ones that are not the most that fall away? And that's where it comes. You know, I, I heard um, Glenn Beck. I don't watch him much. I don't even think he's on TV anymore. I don't know. But Glenn Beck, he's a, on Fox News for y'all who maybe he's not on anymore. I don't know. He had this show one time. He talked about frogs and, and boiling water in a kettle. And he talked about how frogs work. He put frog in a boiling water. If you put frog in a boiling water, the frog will jump out. Because, oh, that's hot. But if you put a frog in a kettle of water and then turn on the heat and the water slowly boils, the frog will never move and will die in the boiling water without ever trying or attempting to jump out. And when he said that, that leaped into my brain and said, that's a spiritual principle too, because you know what? We are like those frogs and this earth is like the kettle. And Satan is turning up wickedness in these days and trying to influence like he never has before. And the water is heating up. And if we aren't aware, all of a sudden one day we wake up and we say, who? God who? And we've got to be close with God. Close enough to know when the water is beginning to boil. The love of most will grow cold. I mean, think about it. Look around you. Most of you. That can't be true. Well, one thing I do know is that God gives us all a choice. We are not condemned before we were born except to righteousness. So that means we have a choice in this matter. We don't have to be the most. We can be the most that our love did not grow cold. We can be the most of the victorious. We can be the most that overcame, as we just sang about. In John 21, verse 16, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Now, at first glance, when we read this, we think, oh, well, we've got to get involved in doing you know, I'm a missionary, I'm here, I'm talking about this. Oh, yeah, well, take care of the sheep. There's lost people out there. A lot of us, a lot of times, will think that's our Christian obligation, our Christian duty. We've got to be careful. As the wickedness grows, as we start having earthquakes around the world, as we start having tragedy all around us, as all of a sudden all of our resources begin to deplete, wickedness seems like it's greater than the love of God around us. We need to understand what's going on. Because I really believe the key here is Jesus was asking Peter, will you obey me? Will you obey me? If we, we, we go out there and we get caught up in trying to feed every hungry person and we try to reach every single person and at the, at the total exhaustion of our own relationship with God, we've missed the whole purpose of the redemptive plan. And this is what's happening. We need to be praying for missionaries around the world like we've never prayed for them before. You know why? They're at the brunt of the wave of wickedness. 
And it is overwhelming, my friends. It is overwhelming. And that's you're at the brunt of the wickedness. You can withstand it for a day. But that's not the problem. It's the constant, constant, constant crashing of the wicked ways that will drive you insane. And all around you, after the earthquake, all around you, all you could do is, I've got to feed this. Well, it's time for your quiet time. But this person is going to die. Y'all haven't had that, have you? You hadn't had to make that choice yet. If I, I've got to choose, can, do I feed someone right now? Or do I help someone get to the hospital before they die? Or have a personal time with Christ? What do you do? Well, you may say, well, I'd have that personal time with Christ. Of course you would. You're in air conditioning with comfortable chairs. You're not six months into an earthquake where you're having to make a decision. I'm going to either pick up this person dead now or have a quiet time and have a quiet time or I'm going to have a quiet time. Wait, wait. you understood what I'm saying. You know? God forbid that that ever happened here in the state of Texas. But what if a crisis happened? Are you ready? Are you ready spiritually? At first look, we may think God is calling us to do, 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 do. But it's not about all the things we do. It's about relationship. It's about listening to his voice. It's about doing what he tells us to do. And that's not easy. Because when you have to make life decisions when you have to make uh people who says there is no god as they walk away from you and versus going and doing something else and you know it becomes a challenge and that's when you got to guard your heart because that's when you might look up to heaven and say god you just aren't fair i've learned some lessons one lesson i learned never get service to jesus confused with religious work or duty. Our service to Christ is number one. That one-to-one relationship. Out of that, everything comes. Remember what I told you? When God calls you on the spot, what is in you will come out. If you aren't ready for that moment, you've missed that opportunity. It's easy. To feed the hungry. It's easy to do, you know, write a checkout for missions. It's easy to do all things. Blah, 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 blah. My friends, I want to challenge you. Do what Jesus tells you to do. If he says, feed my sheep, God help you if you don't. Because whatever Jesus is saying for you to do, that's where he will be. And that's where we will know him. But what happens is often somewhere along the lines in our day-to-day routines and our lives and our challenges, we get things mixed up and all of a sudden it's somehow what we do for God is what we're seeking to get our intimate relationship from. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, now that I've done this for you, God, I'm going to do this to know you. I'm going to do this to get to know but the reality is we just stop talking to God and we just start meeting the needs. This does not create intimacy with God. This creates a religious service. But God has called us first and foremost in our service as Christians.
to intimacy with Christ. Intimacy with God. John 7, 22 through 23 talks about where it says, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and your name drive out demons and your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell you plainly, I never knew you. Oh, my friends. For me as a missionary, this is the biggest wake up call. Because we're out there, we're wanting to see the advancement of God. We're wanting to see things move. But in the end of it all, what if we get to heaven and all the things we did? He says, but I never knew who you were. I had, I had this Haitian guy one time. He came up and he started doing all this stuff. He started moving these blocks. He started doing all these things for me and all this stuff. And I saw him doing it. I'm like, what in the world is he doing? He just kept doing it. And then he came over to me and he expected me to befriend him and relate to him. And he said, are you going to give me money now for what I did? And I said, I don't know who you are. And I walked away from him. If I, as a human, as a, a mere man, would see that just because you serve me doesn't mean I know you, that I'm obligated to you, is not true. How much more is our Heavenly Father? Wow, what, what a tragedy. You know what tragedy is? A person that lays his whole life down all the time doing everything he thinks God wants him to do only to get to heaven and find out that he never knew him. What a tragedy. That has to be the most worst tragedy there ever was. This is a wake-up call. What is your motivation in all that we do? John 5, 19 through 21. Jesus gave him this answer. Verily, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these. So that you will be amazed. For just as fa the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he pleases to give it. Wow. You hear the 